1: chapter 4 2 Timothy chapter 4 quiet now the message started <laughs> he didn't even hear me rebuke him he was so distracted <laughs> i'm teasing you i'm teasing you marty 2 <laughs> Timothy chapter 4 2 Timothy chapter 4 anybody here uh, running relay races in high school? Anybody? Any triathletes here? I ran some relay races when I was in elementary. That's about as far as I got. But in a relay race, there is the passing of the baton. And in life, there comes a time when we have to pass the baton and generally that is because of the it should be because of the leading of the lord sometimes it's because the lord leads us in a different direction sometimes it's because the lord calls us home and that was the case for the apostle paul and timothy in second timothy chapter 4 of course no one could fill the apostle paul's shoes but the work of evangelism, the work of discipleship, had to carry on. And 2 Timothy is such a uh, a special book to me as a, a pastor. It is written to a pastor, but not just to pastors, because many of the commands in 2 Timothy are in the plural. It's not just you, Timothy. It's you and your church. And... 2 Timothy is written to teach pastors what the church needs to know and what the church needs to do and what the church needs uh, on which to feed and grow as Paul is getting ready to leave this life and to stand before the Lord. And in verse 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, He tells Timothy, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. The Bible ends with a command. The spirit and the bride say, come, come, Lord Jesus. And if I am a spirit filled believer and I am not. Looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ then the spirit that fills me is not the Holy Spirit. It is my own spirit. Sometimes we're full of spirit, but it's not it's not the Holy Spirit. The spirit and the bride say, come if I'm truly spirit filled, there will be a desire within me to see the Lord and to see his returning to long for his returning. This world is not our home. Paul had that desire. And Paul said that there is a crown of righteousness that is reserved for every believer who is longing for the return of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, Paul was called to the Lord a long time ago. And it's that calling that I draw your attention to now. Paul knew by revelation of the Holy Spirit that his time on earth was drawing to a close. He didn't know whether it was going to be months, or weeks, but he told Timothy, you better get here quickly. I don't know how much time I have left, and there's some things that I want to give to you, and there's some things I want to get from you before my departure, but in this letter, I am giving you a final charge. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith, and Timothy, I want you now to make foolproof of thy ministry, but Paul is not just concerned with Timothy. Turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Thou therefore, verse 1, My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, in the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Paul was concerned not just about his ministry transitioning into Timothy and others, He was concerned that Timothy's ministry would transition and be passed on and that the baton would continue to pass. Paul didn't know how long the Lord would tarry. We're almost at 2,000 years into the end times, into the church age. We can say on authority of Scripture that the time is very short and that the Lord's return is coming soon. What is soon? I don't know. But I know it's coming soon. Nevertheless, our responsibility is to be doing our ministry and part of our ministry, whatever ministry that would be, is to be equipping others to carry on that ministry. If we go home before we all go home. If we are called to something else or someplace else before we're all called together To meet the Lord in the air. So with that in mind, go with me back to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. Because we are now going to look at the passing of the baton from one patriarch to another. From Abraham to Isaac. Abraham, we will see, is going to his forefathers. That's the terminology that Moses uses here. We'll explain that in just a moment. But in so doing, the blessing that has rested on Abraham is going to officially and exclusively pass on to his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 25. And so as we continue this series, this study of the life of Isaac, We are, I, I want to tell you, we're not going to spend a lot of time on Isaac because Moses doesn't spend a lot of time on Isaac. The book of Hebrews gives us one verse referring to Isaac by name. Galatians 4 says, Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. We have very little said to us about Isaac. And nevertheless, what we do have said to us about Isaac is that he played an important role in the passing of the baton, receiving it from his father, and he will, although as we'll see somewhat reluctantly, passing it to his youngest son, Jacob, and in so doing, continuing the legacy of the faith of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But let's first look here in verses 1 through 18 at the twilight of Abraham. The twilight of Abraham. Then again, Abraham took a wife. Then again is after the marriage of his son Isaac to Rebekah, which occurred after the death of Sarah. Remember, Abraham had Isaac at a very advanced age. And the only reason he was able to do that was because of a genuine undeniable miracle, a regenerative miracle that God did within the body of Abraham and within the body of Sarah to enable them, even at their ripe old age, to be able to conceive and have a child. And what we're going to see is that that miracle that occurred in the body of Abraham did not end with the birth of Isaac. Then again, Abraham took a wife and her name was Keturah, and she bare him. Zimran, and Jokshan, and Midan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua, and Jokshan begat Sheba, and Didan, and the sons of Didan were uh, Ashurim, and Letushim, and Liumim, and if I pronounce those wrong, you take a, you take a try, you, you, you give your best shot. I, I told my students when I taught at CCA that the trick is to just fake it a, a, as well as you can and, and people will think that you know how to pronounce it unless they know you don't know how to pronounce it. The sons of Midian, Ephah and Epher, and Hanok and uh, Abadai, and Eldai, Dea, and these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac, but this, unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived one hundred and three score and fifteen years, one hundred and seventy five years. Seventy five years. To enjoy with his son, the promised son. Isaac and to have many other sons as well. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, which is before Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth there was Abraham buried and Sarah, his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. And Isaac dwelt by the well, lehi Roy. Now, a couple of things about Abraham before we move on. Number one, Abraham finished well. Amen. He finished strong. Abraham received the promise at, at, at almost, uh, well, he was 100 years, essentially. And now he's got... 75 years with his son and in those 75 years, he has not wavered in his faith. He has not wavered in his commitment to keep his promises to God to make sure that it is Isaac who receives the blessing because it is Isaac who will receive the Abrahamic covenant and will be the heir of all of Abraham's sons. It is only Isaac who received the Abrahamic covenant. It is not the sons that he had in the flesh, but only the sons that he received by the miraculous promise of God. We are told that Ketorah, before she became Abraham's wife, was a concubine. She was one of the servant ladies in his household, and she must have been uh, much younger. So... um, to embarrass my wife tonight, uh, Steve told me that since uh, my wife got her highlights that she looks much younger and it looks like I am now married to a much younger woman and uh, that, <laughs> which reminded me when we were, um, uh, when we were engaged, I believe it was when we were still engaged, sweetie, when we were uh, running at, or at the uh, high school in Hollisburg, we were running around the Hollisburg High School track and uh, there were a couple of adults there who thought she was one of the students. And what was she doing with an old man like me? They wanted to find out. Well, that was Abraham. And that wasn't just appearances. He was married to a much younger woman. And she gave him more children. She gave him six more children. Nevertheless, before his death, because remember, he was a a prophet. He knew his time was coming. He was giving up the ghost. And so he made sure, he, he got some uh, endowments, he got some gifts of apparently great value that he gave to his sons, but he made sure that they moved away from the promised land. He sent them away uh, in much different circumstances than when he had to sell uh, to send Ishmael away. Remember, he did not want to send Ishmael away. He did not abandon Ishmael, but he delivered Ishmael over to the Lord. God said, you give him to me to take care of. Abraham said, well, I don't want to do that. And, and nevertheless, he, he was obedient and he delivered Ishmael over to the Lord. God took care of Ishmael, as we'll see again in, in just a few moments. But he wanted to make sure that his other sons, his younger sons, did not become a thorn in Isaac's side And so he sent them away. He wanted to try to to, uh, uh, minimize any kind of family issues that he could before his death, which is sadly a lesson that Isaac did not learn, as we'll see when we get into Isaac's uh, less than model parenting style. But Abraham finished well. Abraham kept his commitment to God on behalf of Isaac. And although he had now eight sons, uh, eight is enough. That was a a show used to be on when I was a kid. Some of you may remember that show. Uh, Eight sons, he does not divide up according to the flesh. He says, God has chosen Isaac. I will not get in the way of God. I will not curse my other sons by giving to them what God has already given to Isaac. And so he makes sure that they're gone. He keeps his commitment to God on behalf of Isaac. And so, verse 11, again, God kept his promise to Abraham on behalf of Isaac. Notice in verse 11, again, after Isaac and Ishmael come together, and and isn't that, um, isn't that important that at these times when families can be very divided, families choose to put differences aside and come together for the funeral of their father and understand that there is a time and a place for family issues, but the airing of those grievances is is not over uh, the body of our loved ones. I talked to a funeral director in Bedford County uh, a number of years ago, because of the family issues that he was, uh, that I was aware of, that he was dealing with at this particular funeral service, and he confided in me what is not a secret among people in that profession, and that is that, that is the hardest part of their job, is not the burial of the body, but the family conflict that they have to navigate whenever someone dies. Isaac And Ishmael are able to put those differences and their past conflicts aside for this moment. But notice again, verse 11, it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son, Isaac, that God blessed his son, Isaac. Now. What you don't know yet, but you find out as you keep reading and Moses at this particular part of, of the book of Genesis, he is skipping ahead. He's trying to close the chapter on Abraham and close the chapter on Ishmael before he transitions from Abraham to completely focus on Isaac. And so he's skipping into the future. When Abraham dies, his sons, Jacob and Esau, are both 15 years old. They are wild stallions, especially Esau. And Isaac is no less than 75 years old, he is no spring chicken either. And so he's been married for 20 years when his father dies. His sons are both 15-year-old young men when his father dies. But it is at that moment that God's covenant blessing that Isaac has enjoyed under the umbrella of his father is now transferred to him. The baton is now passed to him. He is now the one responsible to be the umbrella. And to be the covenant defender of his sons and of his family, no longer is his blessing going to be dependent on his father's relationship with God. Some of you are enjoying uh, uh, blessings. As a result of your parents, prayers. As a result of your grandparents prayers, there are times when I was not right. My heart was not right with God and God was patient with me and God did not abandon me and God did not discipline me the way that I even deserve to be disciplined. And I am absolutely 100 percent convinced that it was because of the prayers of God's people, but especially the prayers of of my parents and my grandparents and God's covenant with them and the blessings of of their faithfulness that was covering me and an umbrella over me. But of course, now my grandparents are all gone and my parents are not old, but aging. And there will come a time, although I still enjoy their prayers. The power of their prayers. The protection of their prayers. There will come a time if the Lord tarries, and if I, live, and if I outlive them, which, which I um, hope that I do, that I will be the one who is the umbrella for the family. I will be the patriarch of the family. That day has not come yet. For Isaac, it wasn't until he was 75. But he was prepared for that. He was prepared for that. He is not someone who dropped the baton, although he is not perfect. We'll see that in the coming weeks. But he is able to pass the baton on to his own son. And we need to be very careful that we don't take God's patience and God's blessing for granted because of the prayers that others are praying for us, because of the intercession that those above us are praying for us and think that we're okay but we're not strengthening our own relationship with God. We're not being the umbrella for our kids that our parents have been for us. Now, maybe some of you, you don't have that blessing. You've never had that blessing. Maybe you're more like Abraham than Isaac. As as I shared with you months ago now, when we started our study of Abraham, uh, years ago, decades ago, my dad preached a message uh, back at Cornerstone where he talked about the fact that Abraham began a godly legacy Isaac and then Jacob continue that godly legacy, but tragically Esau would end the godly legacy. Esau would end it. And all of us in a, in a church setting like this are going to find ourselves in one of those three situations. Either God is going to call us to begin the godly legacy, or God is going to call us to continue it, or God is going to warn us not to end it. Because I've also seen many, many of my friends who have grown up at Cornerstone, many, many of my friends who were once my kids in youth group when I was the youth pastor at Oakland Avenue Baptist Church, uh, and even now already some of my former students when I was at Calvary Christian Academy and when I was teaching there for a year, who have already walked away from the faith that they either verbally or just externally professed. And so we have to make sure that as we are enjoying the blessings of the prayers and the faith and the covenant blessings that God puts on those around us and above us, that we are not letting our relationship with God fall into neutral. We're not just coasting along and and entrusting ourselves because because the, the tragedy is that God does call us home. He does call us home, and we don't know when he's going to call us home or when he's going to call our loved ones home. And we need, to be, we need to be first and foremost working on our relationship with God and not relying on the relationships of others. Well, let's look, excuse me, also at this phrase here. And these are the days of Abraham's life. Verse 8, Abraham gave up the ghost died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. He is not repeating himself. Moses is not repeating himself. When he says that he was old and full of years, what he is saying is that he used the time that God gave him wisely. He used the time that God gave him well. Many of us got saved at a young age. Some of us got saved when we were uh, in middle age. Some of us get saved when we're older. Whatever time we have with the Lord, we need to make sure that we are using it and that we are full of years. Whatever, However many years God gives us, that those are full years of faith, full of faith, full of faithfulness. Not sinless. Abraham was not sinless. <laughs> Abraham was far from sinless. But when he failed, he confessed. And God forgave him. And that brings us to the next focus of Moses here as he closes another book before we step back into time and pick it up with uh, Isaac, the offspring of Ishmael. The offspring of Ishmael. Because Moses wants us to remember and realize that not only did God keep his promise to Abraham on behalf of Isaac, but that he also kept his promise to Abraham on behalf of Ishmael. Twelve tribes, twelve nations would come out of Ishmael that parallel the twelve tribes or the twelve nations that will come out of Isaac through his son Jacob. So look with me at uh, verse 12 of chapter 25. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's handmaid, bare unto Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael. By their names, According to their generations, the firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajoth and Kedar. And I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to just read all of these names, but I highlight those two names because if we were to take the time, not going to, but if you want to jot this down, Isaiah 60, verse seven, Isaiah 60, verse seven, those uh, two men are named speaking of their descendants, but those two men are named in Isaiah 60, verse seven, saying that they will have descendants that are part of the kingdom of God. And that is an indication to us that Ishmael, although a wild man, although a wild man, very likely, based on what we're going to read next, sometime before he died, also had a living faith in his father's God. That his father's God was his God, not Allah. But Yahweh, Yahweh, was his God. And where do I see that? I see that in verse 17. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, just a kid compared to his dad. And he gave up the ghost and died. And notice this phrase, was gathered unto his people. That phrase is found 10 times in verse. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Moses uses that phrase ten times. It is used in reference to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Aaron, Moses himself, and Ishmael. No one else. No one else. Many, many people die in those five books. But only those six men Received that phrase attached to their death. Abraham was gathered to his people. Now, where did Abraham die? Well, where was Abraham from? Ur, where did he die? Canaan, where was he buried? Canaan, he was buried in the land of promise. He wasn't buried back with his ancestors. They didn't take his body back to Ur to bury it in the family plot. He was buried in the land. So what does it mean that he was gathered to his people? It doesn't mean he was buried with his ancestors. It means that he was gathered in death to those who had gone before him in death and are alive in the Lord. How do we know that? Well, we know that, Because Jesus said that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And the Pharisees said, how can you speak of Abraham? He's been gone for thousands of years. And what did Jesus say? Oh, he's still alive. Oh, his body's dead. Yeah, his body's dead. But Abraham, I know Abraham. I know Isaac. I know Jacob. They're still alive. They know me. And I know them. And Abraham longed to see this day that you guys are rejecting. And when he said that, they understood what he was claiming, and they took up stones. They were going to kill him by stoning. And it was not his time. And so he did not let them take his life. But God's promise to us is that when we know Christ, yes, our body might die, and yes, we may be separated with, from our body, but Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus said, You trust in me, you're not even going to look on death. Amen. Now, we also read about Abraham in one of the stories, not just parables, but one of the stories that Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus that Abraham is still alive and well and was alive and well, but in paradise. In paradise. Yes, his body is still here on earth. Yes, when we die, we're separated for a time from our bodies. But understand that all of our loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord are more alive today than they have ever been before. And would not want to come back if they could. Because of the joy that has been set before them. And so I believe this phrase is a strong indication given that it's only used of five other men, and all of them are heavy hitters, men of faith, that Ishmael likely before his death at some time also gave his heart to the Lord and was gathered to his ancestors as well, gathered to his fathers. So, let's talk though about the blessing of Isaac. Let's say a few things before we close tonight about isaac and so now we're going to step back in time a little bit we're going to go back in time 15 years abraham is dead ishmael is dead now we're going to go 15 years back in time before the death of abraham when isaac and rebecca they've been married for a long time but they can't have kids god has not opened up her womb And so let's look at what happens here in verse 18. Well, let's set verse 17. These are the years of the life of Ishmael. Okay, he's he's passed away. Verse 19, here we go. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, to wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian of Padamaram, the sister to Laban the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. Two nations. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold... There were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau, and after that came his brother out. And his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob or Jacob. And Isaac was three score years old when she bare them, and the boys grew. He was 60 years old, so they have been married for 20 years, having to be able to have kids for 20 years, 20 years of tears, 20 years of crying, 20 years of when, when, when. And now, finally, God has answered their prayers and opened their wombs, opened her womb, not their wombs, (laughs) one womb in in that relationship. And Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. 60 years, 20 years of prayer, God blesses them. But as the boys grew, Esau was a cunning hunter, man of the field. Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he did not eat of his, ven- because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, by the way, I didn't dress my son as a hunter tonight on purpose. That just was a happy accident. Um, but uh, let me talk about the blessing of Jacob just for a few minutes tonight before we close. There's not a lot that's said about Isaac in the scriptures. Some of, some of what is said is very good, some of it is not so good. but now we are now in this story shifting from Abraham, who has been buried, even though he's not dead yet in this story, but in Moses' uh, narrative, and then we are moving back in time to the birth of the child. So I want you to see first of all where Isaac is. He's in a place of prayer. he's in a place of prayer. Uh, You may have missed it. I missed it until I looked at one of the commentaries that I was looking at. That this is the exact place where we find Isaac. This is the exact place where God answered the prayer of his brother's mother, Hagar. Not his mother, because they were half-brothers. But where God had answered Hagar's prayer on behalf of his brother, Ishmael. It's where in chapter 24 he was waiting for Rebekah out in the field meditating. He was a very thoughtful man. Isaac, he's a quiet man. He's a quiet man. He's a thinking man. He's a meditative person. He's not the aggressor that his son Esau is and that his son Jacob becomes. He's not the outgoing person that his father is or was. But he is a thoughtful, meditative man, and what we do know positive about him is that God answered his prayer. If we're going to find out something positive about somebody, maybe you're a quiet person, maybe you're a behind-the-scenes person, but are you a praying person? Are you a praying person? Only God knows that. Only God really knows about our prayer life. You can, you can, you can pray well in public, but that doesn't mean you're a man or a woman of prayer. Maybe, you're, maybe, you're too, maybe you think, oh, praying in public, I can never do that. Are you a man or a woman of prayer, one-on-one with God, in your war room or your prayer closet? We're told that he was in a place of prayer. Do you have a place of prayer? Nothing special about a place other than the fact that it can be a reminder of answered prayer. There are places, when I uh, was in school at Liberty, places that I couldn't go to now because of how built-up Liberty is, but places where I would go on campus to pray uh, that, uh, again, they're not private places anymore. But um, but there are places that I felt like I could focus in my prayers and I could get alone with God. Nothing special about the place per se, other than it's a place where we are reminded of the powerful God that we are praying to. And so notice verse 21, he's pleading and he receives an answered prayer, the place of prayer for Hagar became a place of prayer for him and an answered prayer for him as well. And he is pleading with God. I wonder how many of our prayers are unanswered because we are flippantly asking and not really pleading with God. We're not really pleading with God. It's not that we don't really, really want an answer. It's that we don't really, really want to trust God for it. We want to make it happen in our own strength. We want to make it happen with our own ingenuity. Or we don't want to be disappointed that God has failed us. And so we just don't really pray very powerfully or very intently or very seriously. I saw a picture, maybe some of you saw it, uh, just uh, today and actually yesterday uh, that has, is circulating on Facebook And it's a picture of people at a football game covered in snow watching the football game. And the caption said, if we were this serious about prayer as we are about football, we would change the world. We'd change the world. If we were that committed to our prayer life as we are to our hobbies and our sports and our things that don't matter, that don't matter. Who cares? Who cares? Really, who wins the Super Bowl? Yeah, it's exciting when your team wins. I know, I know, I'm a Steeler fan. We've had some Super Bowl wins. It's exciting. A lot more disappoint- disappointments. A lot more playoff losses than Super Bowl wins. A lot more disappointment. But who really cares? Because guess what's gonna happen next year? They're gonna do it all over again. They're gonna do it all over again. They're gonna do it all over again. But what about the prayers that God has answered that have changed my life? What about the prayers God's answered for you that have changed your life? Abraham taught his son how to pray. Isaac becomes a man of prayer, and he pleads with God. So we see the place of prayer. We see the answer to prayer. But notice the answer is not quite what they expected. <laughs> Sometimes... Sometimes we have to be careful what we ask for. A conflicted answer. Yes, they have a child, but not just one. They have two. They got twins. And these twins are going to be in conflict from the womb. Isn't it amazing how different our kids can be? Now, we only have one one son here with us. And so uh, he's my favorite. He's Gigi's favorite, we don't have to worry about playing favorites, because we have a, an only child, uh, you know, not so with my sister, because I'm, I'm the favorite, and uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I, I always told her she was the favorite growing up, I always tease mom and dad, but we're able to tease each other, because we never felt that way, we never felt like I was the favorite, or she was the favorite, we always felt like uh, mom and dad loved us both differently, because we're, my sister and I are very different. But that they both, uh, mom and dad both loved both of us with all their hearts. And there wasn't favorites played. And so, yes, we had conflict when we were little. But the conflict never amounted really to anything. Maybe I, maybe I threw water on her one night because uh, she wouldn't listen to me. But, uh, you know, I was the babysitter and she wasn't listening. So I threw the water on her. It had lemon in it. Um, uh, she... she she likes to tell that story, um, but they these twins are in conflict. Rebecca is so distraught that she thinks that she's going to die. The, the, she's so physically um, affected by her pregnancy and she knows this is, this can't be normal what's happening to me and so she she can't just go get an ultrasound right? So she goes to the Lord and God re- prophetically reveals to her, well you don't have just two kids in your womb, Rebecca, you have two nations, two nations we'll talk more we've talked about that before we'll talk more about that at another time. This has to do by the way with the Abrahamic covenant, not salvation but God prophesies over her a holy explanation, a holy explanation that God is going to choose one of those sons. And it's not going to be the firstborn. It's not going to be the first one that comes out. God is going to choose to make the older serve the younger. And God's blessing will rest on the younger. Now, again, God chose Jacob not for salvation, but for the covenant, just as God chose Isaac, not Ishmael, to receive the covenant, but Ishmael was still gathered unto his fathers. So also, Esau is still going to have an opportunity to receive, to receive the Lord, to receive faith in, in Yahweh, but it is Jacob who will receive the covenant from the Lord. And so finally she does uh, finish her nine months, and lo and behold... Yes, there are two kids that come out. And Esau comes out first, and what a sight he was. Came out all hairy and red. What a sight he must have been. And then comes a little hand out as well, grabbing that heel. And so they name Esau, Esau, because he's red and ruddy, and they name Jacob, Heel, Yaqab, Heel. Which is what the name Jacob means. Now, it has come to mean deceiver because of what he did, because of how he lived. He was a very manipulative, deceitful person. Certainly not somebody who deserved the covenant by his works. He would receive it like we all must receive God's blessings by faith, not by his works. But this divine blessing would come on the one who is named the heel. And we'll talk more about that as we get into the study of Jacob, Lord willing. But God chose the younger son. Now here's where we are going to end it for tonight. A divided family. A divided family. Again, Isaac. Man, he really resonated with Esau. Esau was the, was the man he always wanted to be. He was the mighty hunter. Remember his, remember his brother Ishmael was the mighty hunter in his family? And Isaac was more the meditative guy. And even though he didn't get along with his older brother, there was something about his older brother that he must have envied. His prowess with a bow... And now he's got a son who's the manly man of the family. And man, he loves his firstborn son. But Jacob, he's the guy who likes to hang out with all the ladies. He's one who wants to do all the cooking. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it graded his father. Oh, but Rebecca loved Jacob. He was mama's boy. Now, here's the problem. Jacob knew which one his father loved, and Esau knew which one his mama loved, and it caused a rift between those two brothers that would last for decades and really never, ever be resolved completely, although they would have a reunion and they would have tears and hugs, but never really have the relationship that they could have had if not for mom and dad playing favorites. Don't ever play favorites. I know if you got multiple kids, I know one of them is easier to parent than the other. I know. One of them is going to butt heads with you more than the other. I know. I know. I've, I, I, have, I haven't seen it in our family because I only got one son. But I've seen it as a youth pastor. I've seen it as a social worker. I've seen it as someone who's gone to my friends' houses, and I've seen it firsthand. Make sure that you are not the one bringing division into your family by how you play favorites with your kids and your grandkids. And we're going to see the fruit that Jacob has to bear because of his father's influence. Listen, we all have imperfect fathers. We all have imperfect mothers. We all have imperfect siblings. And we're all have, we all have imperfect uh, images in the mirror. <laughs> Everybody looks at a sinner in the mirror, every one of us. But we don't want to be people who bring division to our families or to our churches. Well, let's end it there tonight, um, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for the uh, honesty of Scripture. God, painful honesty, as we see our own failings, our own frustrations, uh, oftentimes in the text, but God, help us through that pain to see you And to see the healing that you can bring into our hearts, into our families. Uh, God, we're so thankful for uh, the healing that you have brought uh, into the uh, men and women of faith in the Bible. When they fall and they repent, you restore, you bring healing and comfort and peace. And so, God, we're thankful for that. But, God, help us to learn from their mistakes as well as from their victories. God, that we can enjoy and imitate their victories and learn and avoid their mistakes. We love you. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, As we open it up to prayer requests, let me just give you a couple uh, as the guys come to get the mics.
0: Uh That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301 724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15am, Sunday morning service at 10.30am, Sunday evening service at 6.30pm, and Wednesdays at 6.30pm. We also have opportunities for our students to gather youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for sixth grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.